Hello and welcome. My name is Raj Basord. I'm a consultant doctor and psychiatrist and I'm based in London, England. And uh, for this podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Karis Kubrin. Professor Karis Kubrin is Professor of Criminology, Law and Society and Sociology. Her research focuses on neighbourhoods, race and violence as central to social disorganisation theory. A related line of research examines the intersection of music, culture and social identity, particularly as it applies to hip-hop and minority youth in disadvantaged communities. In 2005, Professor Kubin received the Ruth Shonley Kevin Young Scholar Award from the American Society of Criminology, a national award given to recognize outstanding scholarly contributions to the discipline of criminology, and the Morris Rosenberg Award for Recent Achievement from the District of Columbia Sociological Society, given to recognize outstanding sociological achievement during the past three years. In 2014, Professor Kubin received the University of California Irvine School of Social Ecology Dean's Diversity Research Award, given to recognize excellence research on diversity and inclusion. And the American Society of Criminology Division on People of Color and Crime, Cora May Richard Mann Award, for outstanding contributions to scholarship on race, ethnicity, crime, and justice. Most recently, she received the W.E.B. Dubois Award from the Western Society of Criminology for significant contributions to racial and ethnic issues in the field of criminology. In 2007, she was a visiting fellow at the Center for Criminology at Oxford University. So I should really explain to the audience that uh, I became aware of Professor Kubrin's uh, work um, when I was writing a piece by Psychology Today, trying to discuss the whole uh, Trump wall situation or psychology of walls. Why it is that certain people are attracted to walls? Um, why does what do they make them feel safe and secure? And I, first of all, found some very interesting research by Professor Kubrin on gated communities in America. And then I found another very interesting paper, which I quoted in my Psychology Today article, about the link between immigration and crime. But let's start with that one, Professor Kubrin. Tell us a little bit about your research on immigration and crime. Sure. So I've been studying immigration and crime for at least 10, 15 years, well before it became the hot topic that it, that it is today in the U.S. and, frankly, all around the world. And I got interested in this issue when I came across an op-ed written in the New York Times suggesting that one reason that crime went down in cities across the United States during the crime drop may be because immigration to those cities went up. And what was interesting was the person who had written this op-ed got a lot of hate mail and people just couldn't believe that that could be the case. There's no way that immigration and crime um, you know, as immigration goes up, crime goes down. They just refuse to believe it. And when I started looking back at some of the early research on immigration and crime, that was in fact the finding. Where immigrants reside, you have some of the lowest crime rates. And so I got concerned about how off public perception was around this issue and decided I wanted to get involved in doing research along these lines, as well as making that research available to a broader audience. So the, the op-ed was about some research which found that immigration reduces crime. And you, you're saying that this guy got hate mail from people who found that very hard to believe. Right. I, I basically, when I came across his op-ed in the New York Times, I found it intriguing. And I wrote him and, and asked for a copy of the paper that he had published and said, you know, great op-ed. And he had written back something along the lines of, you know, thanks, yours is the only nice email I've received all day. So there's a public perception that immigration is linked to crime, that immigrants tend to commit more crime than the general population. Would you agree there's a public perception? Why is that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it's not even a matter of agreement. If you look at research on public perception around immigration and crime, doesn't matter what decade we're talking about, which immigrant group we're talking about, 
the assumption is that the two go hand in hand. So tell us a bit about your research. So I've spent the last 10, 15 years examining how the presence of immigrants at neighborhoods, in neighborhoods, cities, counties, states, is related to crime at those levels. So I'm interested in a macro level relationship between immigration and crime. And really, no matter what study I've done, whether it's focusing on cities or counties, what years of data I've used, different ways to measure immigration, examining different crimes, I tend to find the same thing over and over again. Immigration and crime do not go hand in hand. And in some cases, more immigration equates with less crime. So tell us a bit about how you conduct this research. So um, it's, a, it's challenging in some, in some ways because our immigration data is not ideal in the U.S. And in particular, our crime data does not ask whether an individual who committed the crime is foreign-born or native-born. So what you have to do is we tend to use census data to examine the presence of immigration within areas. So we are able to use census data looking at the percent foreign-born. We can get the percent foreign-born of different groups, that sort of thing. But we have to look at general crime rates in the area. Um, in other words, we can't look at crimes simply among immigrants or among the native born in particular. And so some have challenged me by saying, well, we just know that where immigrants are, um, we have lower crime rates, but we don't know if that's because immigrants themselves are committing crime at a lower rate than the native born. Luckily, there's an individual level literature that does find that. In fact, when we have surveys of people asking about their reported crime, reported victimization, we also know from the individual level data that immigrants are less crime prone than their native born counterparts. Where um, do you think this stereotype comes from that immigrants are linked to crime? Well, this stereotype has been around for since really the founding of the U.S. I mean, this is not a new thing. Um, in my, I teach a course on immigration, and one of the things we talk about is the role of nativism in all of this. Sort of this. Um, you know, assumption that anything non-American is threatening or problematic. Of course, this raises questions about what is American identity to begin with, since the vast majority of people that are here can be traced back in some way, shape, or form in this country. But I do think that for a long period of time, we've had, the U.S. has had a complex relationship with immigration. At times we need immigrants here, whether we need help in the agricultural industry or our young men and women are off to war and we need people to serve in certain kinds of jobs. At other times um, we reject immigrants, we want to limit their contributions, we want to close the borders. So it's really a history of ups and downs, I think. So when you, when you refer to nativism, what do you mean by nativism? Well, so there's the concept of nativism in my eyes is different from ethnocentrism or even nationalism. It's this idea that anything that is um, foreign or, or non-native is threatening. And so nativism has occurred in many different ways throughout our country. We've had nativism towards certain religious groups, in particular the Catholics. We've experienced nativism towards um, certain racial and ethnic groups. Currently, I think there's strong nativism against immigrants and a fear that this otherness is going to change the character of American society, right? Immigrants are not assimilating. They're not learning the language. They're using the resources. They're changing the values and beliefs of American society. And my response to that is immigrants are American society, 
um, they, they have been American society for as long as American society has existed. Um, why would it be the case that immigrants might have might be associated with lower crime rates? So, you know, that's the great thing is there's actually very good social theory out there to buttress the findings in these studies. So one kind of obvious answer is that if you think about who migrates anywhere, whether it's to the United States or to Britain, in order to pick up and leave your family and your community and go settle in a new country, primarily because you want a better life for you, you know, these are people that are not random people just leaving a country. This is a self-selected group of highly motivated individuals willing to work hard and delay gratification for a better life for them and their family. When we think about a criminal profile, like the typical criminal, that is not the typical criminal. So there's a self-selection process involved with um, who decides to come over. And that self-selection process kind of rules out criminal types. It's also the case, at least in the United States, that immigrants have lower rates of family disruption compared to their native-born counterparts. So I'm talking about things like divorce and single-parent families. This is on average. And family disruption is a pretty strong correlate of crime. So the fact that they're lower on that indicates that they're less likely to engage in crime. And then finally, immigrants in the U.S. on average have higher rates of employment than native-born blacks and whites. And although some of this employment is um, low wage, it does help ups offset poverty, and poverty is a pretty strong correlate of crime. The, um, I think in one of your papers, you mentioned that maybe the stereotype comes from Hollywood movies, and you mentioned the film Scarface. In, in the film Scarface, there's another explanation for why immigration occurs, which is these are misfits who don't fit in, and they're kind of like thrown out of, of right. the of the source society. That's, is that, would you say that that maybe is a, is a thought that, that, that Americans have that explains their link with immigrants and crime? Well, let me first answer. I agree that the media plays an important role in whether the media is the news media or the media, or, you know, movies, television shows does play an important role in both reinforcing and in some cases challenging these stereotypes. But yes, in certain kinds of being heavily involved in the drug trade and the gang trade and the mafia trade and that sort of thing. Now, that's of course, that occurs to some degree, but that is a very, very small sliver of the immigrant profile in the United States. And so unfortunately, that gets blown up in the eyes of many folks um, relative to what percentage that is in the population. I'm just wondering if one of the reasons why immigrants play a convenient role in Hollywood movies is that they, they being more exotic, they make a more exotic villain. So in a, they, they serve a kind of plot device, which is very helpful for, for the writers of films, but really doesn't serve any kind of understanding of the reality of what's going on. Right. And I mean, that's true of media in general, right? The idea is that what's unique or what's different or what's what's catchy or flashy is going to attract the viewer or the listener. So, you know, we know this about crime statistics more generally, rather than reporting on basic crime, crimes that occur, the most common crime between people that know each other, right? We tend to report on the most um, uncharacteristic types of crime, like individuals lurking in bushes that jump out and get you at a random point in time. I mean, that almost never happens, but that's what you read about and see about in movies and television, that sort of thing. Now, the other research paper I found by you, which I thought was fascinating, was this looking at gated communities and that gated communities might actually work as a crime reduction strategy. Could you tell us a bit about that? 
Sure. Well, I had a graduate student here at University of California, Irvine, that was very interested in gated communities. And it turns out he, he had grown up for a while in Florida, where they have just lots and lots. Basically, in the Sunbelt region of the U.S., we've seen just the incredible rise of gated communities. Um, and of course, here in California, I'm in Southern California, Orange County, the county I'm in, has just a huge number of gated communities. It also happens to be one of the safest counties in the country. And Irvine, where I live, is one of the safest cities. Um, so, you know, it raises the questions about gated communities and whether, in fact, they deliver on the promises that they provide their residents, which is a more secure, safe environment. And do they? Well, we found that, in fact, gated communities do have lower rates of crime compared to their neighbors. Um, I mean, it wasn't a gangbuster finding. It wasn't a huge difference. But we did see that get, that um, crime in gated communities is slightly lower than crime outside of gated communities. Of course, it raises questions about um, the nature of crime within these communities. So for example, you're gating maybe strangers away, you're keeping them out, but what about people within? And we also found some variability about, uh, across different kinds of gated communities that we hope to examine in the future in terms of understanding different levels of gatedness and different kinds of gated communities. What I thought was interesting about this paper was that you seem to be someone who I think is interested in inclusivity, in, given your, your immigration research. But the, but the gated community research actually suggested we're going to see a spread of gated communities and we're going to live increasingly in a society in the West where we're all residing eventually in a gated community. Oh, I think that's hugely problematic. And in no way in this paper are we... Um, suggesting that we encourage the growth of gated communities. I find the privatization of space very problematic. Um, and, you know, hopefully in this paper, we did not come across as, from a policy standpoint, encouraging gatedness um, in, in, light of, in light of the findings, because that's certainly not the approach that we're taking here. We're simply asking the question, do you find lower crime rates in gated communities? Despite the growth of gated communities, both here in the U.S. and abroad, there's been very little research in terms of the, the crime rates in these communities. Okay, um, let's move on to another really fascinating area of your research, which is about rap music. Tell us a bit about this. <laughs> yeah, I, as, as we're talking about this, I'm realizing how different my, my areas of research are. But, um, well, I got interested, for a long time, I, I've, I've been interested in hip-hop and rap music, in doing content analyses of music lyrics to understand a variety of themes that play out in the music, everything from violence, respect, misogyny, all sorts of things. I've been publishing on this, you know, for a long time. And in 2011, I got contacted by an attorney who had come across a series of papers I had written. And he had a client, an aspiring rapper, who was being charged with communicating a terrorist threat because of his rap lyrics. And he had come across these papers and he was calling to see if I'd be willing to serve as an expert witness in his in this case, speaking about whether the lyrics that this young man had written could be seen as actual threats. And so I got involved in this case, really hadn't ever testified in a criminal case before, but I got involved and very quickly after reviewing all the, the lyrics came to the conclusion that this was a big misunderstanding, that this wasn't a young man who was aspiring to uh, blow up a university through his lyrics. Rather, his lyrics were pretty common for gangster rap at the time. And rather than treat the lyrics as a form of art or entertainment, the prosecutor were was taking them literally. And so I testified in this case 
that was back in 2011. What, eight years later, I've testified in almost a dozen more of these cases and have been involved in several dozen of these cases across the United States as a consultant. Um, so this is a growing, uh, a growing practice, the use of rap lyrics as evidence in criminal trials. But these people who are rap musicians seem to get into trouble quite a lot. Based on what? Well, I just you're doing all these cases, so uh, I'm assuming someone's written some music, and then they get into trouble in terms of some crime, which they're accused of, and there's a link back to their music lyrics. Right. The question is, though, is we were just talking about Scarface. You know, my question is, why are the characters playing the different roles in Scarface, and the director of Scarface not being uh, charged with communicating terrorist threats for their art and entertainment. Um, this is uniquely a rap phenomenon where the assumption is that the lyrics do not represent um, artistic norms, what, what gangster rappers do, but rather are indications of a criminal intent or motivation to commit a crime. And my problem with that is that if anyone's listened to rap music and has followed gangster rap in particular, you know that, that that is what the genre does. It makes a lot of claims, it posts a lot of threats. Rappers themselves create these characters, almost kind of like pro wrestlers, that they are the baddest, most over the top, violent individuals. I mean, every rapper is saying this. And if this was true for every rapper, we, we, it'd be World War III in our country. So my concern is that the assumption is always that the rappers are engaging in the stuff that they are saying in their rap lyrics, but we don't see that for any other forms of artistic expression. And more importantly, prosecutors, judges, and juries are not taking into account the artistic genre conventions that go along with that with, with gangster rap music. Now, what I think is really, I mean, there are many things about your research that are really interesting on this subject, but what I find particularly interesting is that here in Britain, there's a kind of, going back to terrorism, the link between terrorism and the notion of radicalization, that a lot of people, it seems to me, are being arrested and probed because they preach something or they say something and that it's been criminalized in some way. It seems to me there's a link between expression saying something and that being a crime i don't know whether you'd agree that there's that creeping sense of that going on right so i mean i think there is an important distinction between like saying something and then having it be part of artistic expression i do think that's an important differentiation right i mean we have we do have the first amendment right but and it's and and obviously there's certain things you are allowed to say not allowed to say but when it comes to art and artistic expression, we're much more forgiving, except when it comes to rap. Um, there, the assumption is that basically, um, these rappers are, are using lyrics in order to engage in criminal behavior. And as someone who uh, has studied rap music, is a fan of rap music, that is just an absolute unfair characterization of the music genre. I mean, the music genre, you know, it, it's won awards, Rappers are famous. There's a whole industry associated around this to simply reduce that music down to thugs um, battling with each other in, in song is, is, in my opinion, very problematic. 
by the way, in in uh, the UK is uh, a great scholar. Her name is Ethne Quinn. She's a senior lecturer in American studies at the University of Manchester. She is just like me here in the United States. Um, she has testified in many UK legal cases in which the prosecution has sought to use defendants' rap lyrics or videos as incriminating evidence. So this is not just a US phenomenon. It's, it's in Canada, it's in the UK and other places as well. So I, if I read you correctly, what you're saying is if it's an art form, it's an act. It's a role. It's an act. You don't have Correct. to take it seriously that it means it's a crime. Rappers are fashioning characters, right? Um, and, and the problem is, is that a lot of people have um, stereotypes and biases associated with rap music that reinforce um, images that they have of the people that make rap music, which is primarily young African-American men. And, and the assumption is that these individuals and their lyrics are threatening and dangerous. And I've conducted several experimental studies trying to tease out what these stereotypes are and what the implications of these stereotypes may be for individuals trying to get a fair trial in the United States. Just to give you one quick example, we did a study where we introduced um, people in our study, experimental study, to a set of violent lyrics that actually came from a folk song. And some people were told these were rap music lyrics. Others were told they were country music lyrics. And then we asked the people in our study to evaluate the lyrics on several dimensions. How dangerous are these lyrics? How threatening are these lyrics? How likely to be true are these lyrics? Now, even though both groups were evaluating the exact same lyrics, those people who thought they were country rated them much less negatively than those people who thought they were rap. The people in the rap group saw them as very dangerous, very threatening, and very likely to be autobiographical. And so we've done a series of experiments kind of revealing what those biases are. And this is why we feel that introducing these lyrics in criminal cases introduces bias um, and the prejudicial impact of their introduction outweighs any probative value of including them. Professor Karis Kubin, it's been wonderful talking to you. Um, if people want to read a little bit about your research, they can look at my Psychology Today blog, and we'll try to put some of the references up for the rap music stuff on the uh, website as well. Uh, many thanks indeed for talking to us today. Thank you.